0: What happens in Hong Kong, now we all see, they through judicial way impose national security law and through this from Hong Kong, extend the authoritarian law, oppressive law around the world. And no matter we like it or not, if we don't stop a barbaric behaviour of departments today, maybe 10 years later, we will see a war waged by them. And our next generation could pay even greater cost for this.
1: Simon Cheng is a human rights activist who previously worked for the British Consulate General in Hong Kong. In 2019, he was detained by the Chinese regime and says he was tortured to make him confess to being a British spy. After his release, Simon sought asylum in the UK where he continues to call for freedom for Hong Kong. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Simon Chung, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Among people who follow the Hong Kong situation closely, I'm sure they're all aware of your story. But for our viewers who uh, maybe don't follow so closely, I was hoping you could tell us your story. So back in 2019, you you worked for the British Consulate in Hong Kong, uh, and you went on a business trip to China.
0: Yes. um, That time, it was in August 2019. So I've been instructed to have a business trip to Shenzhen, but when I finish my trip, then I come back to physically in Hong Kong, where is exactly the downtown of Hong Kong, West Kowloon. So I've been stopped there and they gave me no reason. I've been put into the police station over there, which is a part of mainland China, for a while and for about several hours. Then they told me because the railway station will be closed, so they would need to deliver my back to Shenzhen, I took almost the last high-speed train that day with others uh, mainland workers in the railway station to Shenzhen again. And that time, I've been handed over to a bunch of plainclothes officers. Lately, I know they are working for uh, national security, so that's the ordeal that I start to experience for 15 days.
1: So, what happened next?
0: Well that time is very shocked to me because as the first time ever I've been treated like this. I've been first time being interrogated by the police. They put me into a very small cell, a steel cell, and a tiger chair within the small cell. The tiger chair is not typical chair, which the chair is very uncomfortable, made by steel, and they could buckle you up; you cannot move. Then you could shackled and handcuffed uh, when you sit on a chair. So you could imagine if you have been questioned by the police, but actually you have been, you know, buckled up and locked up at the chair, and you have been in the small cell. It is. It, it was extremely intimidating. So the first question they asked me was, "What do you feel about Hong Kong?" So my intuition is correct, they are political police because it's a very abnormal question, unusual question, and definitely they are asking about protest. Um, so they gradually narrowed down, you know, um, the three types of questions. Who and who had joined the p- protest? and whether the UK government is behind the scenes to instigate a protest and whether I join the protest in a violent way. So they asked these types of questions repeatedly and I remember that as for about seven hours. Then they asked me a very weird question. For example, they said, you know, uh, based on external sources, we know you solicit prostitutes. I never ever do that, but they keep chasing up to say, you went to massage parlour, I said, yes, but that is usual and normal. But they said, no, that is seduced prostitutes. And you know, that time, there has a bunch of plainclothes officers start, stood behind those uniform officers. It gives a hint that if you're not cooperative, we will hand you back over to a bunch of Officers. So it's something like if you don't accept us, if you don't confess, you you will face even harder charges. So I think that time I have no any other choices. Almost immediately since the second day of my detention, I've been put into the personal cell. So my very uncomfortable uh, solitary confinement starts. And then they, you know, put me up against the wooden board hung me on over there for countless hours. And they didn't talk. And sometimes they put me back, put me down, and asked me to do squat and lots of extreme position. And I feel very stressed. And naturally, for example, they keep asking me to raise my arms up and hands up, and I cannot put it down. So you will feel painful. And if I cannot do it, for example, I shiver, then I would be bitten. I would be bit. They would bit me at a very vulnerable position, vulnerable parts of my body, for example, like ankles and and others, joint, um, you know, others uh, parts of my body. So that I've been bitten, I don't know what it is because I cannot see, but it looked like a baton. And that is the first day of the torture and afterwards in the first week is keep repeating like that. They suddenly request me to do confession videotapes and that time I realised that they felt pressure from the outside.
1: The thing they wanted you to confess to was was taking part in the protests on behalf of the British
0: government? Yeah, they have different types of the confession videotapes and so far through the state media of China CCTV they broadcast my confession videotape is just one of those. And that dose is that I confessed that I solicit postures or something, but actually is because I've been stressed. It. Uh, because they prepare two different types of decision paper. You could, they, you know, a few of those confession videotapes that they prescripted totally, but some of those that they would let you talk, but if they, they didn't satisfy your answer they would give you the two years imprisonment for you to sign. Um and that has a lot so many flaws of the uh process of this kind of legal proceeding. For example, when the first time I come into the, um, the detention center, they prepare so many papers of the decision, uh, the, the the you know the legal decision of the police. Only the top one, they, they wrote the, the reasons and from when to when, but the rest of those, that they all leave it blank. But I need to give my fingerprint on all of those papers. So it means if they just throw the top of that away, then they could write whatever they want and I endorse them. That's I confess. So I don't feel my legal rights have been well protected. Surely, and I feel my future is definitely uncertain. And during the whole process, I know is highly political. And I already feel I've been very likely to be charged by some national security law in mainland China. And I talk to them to say, you know, what happens in Hong Kong, and I joined protest, I suppose is legal, and even if I've been critical of the Chinese community, Com- Communist Party it should be still legal at uh, that time in Hong Kong. But that would probably be shocked to me. They said, yes, it might be in le- le- It might be legal in Hong Kong, but where are you now? I said, I'm now in mainland China. They said, that's it. And we can judge your behavior even in Hong Kong by our mainland Chinese law. So I think two systems one country, gone. And I think even maybe lie because if they are unhappy, they could habitually redefine themselves. So, that car kind of thing, when I happen, I know I possibly would be further charged with national security issues and I could be imprisoned for decades in mainland China. So, I felt really, really fortunate and lucky that I'd been let go. And every day, every time that I'm now in here, I also feel I have more sense of duty to speak out the truth, to let, you know, the international audiences through here, to let them know, you know, why Hong Kong people, they need to stay protest, why we have no trust to the Chinese judiciary. Because, honestly speaking, is Different carved political, political system. The judicial system is not independent from the political power in mainland China. So that time, even to me, I I know that you know, if I've been let go, it might be something that you know the decision made by their masters. So, so this is the the situation that happened to me, and it pushed me into the way. That I, I'm now an exiled pro democracy activist. It doesn't mean, previously, I don't care about pro democracy cause. It just means I'm not on the front line. I join almost every car of the protest when, I, when I'm able to. For example, if I've been in Hong Kong, I would do it. I, I support democracy, and that's why the National Security Police from mainland China noticed about this. And also, that's why during the interrogation, they showed me the pictures. That I shown up in the protest site, and also is a side evidence to me, is that there has a eyes and ears, there has agents and informants. Actually, it's quite many in Hong Kong, and maybe because I, I was several times on the protest site, so I've been secretly taken picture. So that's why on radar of the secret police or China. So that's why when I was on the work trip then I've been questioned and tortured and even nearly been sentenced in prison for decades.
1: So at the time you were working for the the British government, how did they respond to this?
0: Well, first of all, they've been very carefully revealed the situation. They, at the very beginning, they think if they're going to be high profile, it would drive me into third trouble. So they try to be a bit low profile at the beginning. And even after I released, they would try to protect my privacy, and I know that Hong Kong is not safe. So I debrief with the British consulate what happened to me, and I cannot stay in Hong Kong any longer. So, then I fly. I flew to Taiwan, and we keep, you know, talk about my visa uh, to the UK. And afterwards, since late 2019, I moved to London and I seek asylum and within about half a year then I've been granted asylum and when I spoke out the truth, uh, the then foreign secretary, Dominic Rupp, issued a statement to support me and they, they think, you know, my treatment is amounts to torture and egregious and then they summoned the Chinese ambassador uh, for this.
1: So it was the screening of your forced confession that got the China Global Television Network removed from the airways and lose, lose their licence in this country, wasn't
0: it? Yes, um, that is about a joint effort uh, led by Peter Dallin, uh, which is who is a founder of the Safeguard Defenders. And we work with other similar victims, like Peter Humphrey, who was being in prison in Shanghai for two years, and also Guan Minghai's daughters. Uh, the Causeway Bay Bookshop are now still being in prison and disappeared uh, in Beijing. And her daughter is very brave, so we, we work together and we issue the, the complaint uh, to, um, to, to the UK uh, Ofcom. Mm. So we have a back and forth communication and of course that the Ofcom will ask about the rebuttal and their opinions from CGTN, and then we defend. So the Ofcom read through both sides' argument, and Ofcom finally ruled in favour of my side. So I'm I'm really really grateful for this because it show it, you know, like they're not very objectively report about this case and with attention to stigmatise me further. And I think it's a usual tactic as well, because th- why at the very fir- at, at the very beginning, why they would keep focusing the matters that to say "Io as a prostitutes," which is not true. I think it's because they try to stigmatize me to make me feel more ro- morally dubious and make me to say my works are less credible. So I think it's also a usual tactics against lots of Human rights activist uh, in mainland China. So this kind of stigmatization, the harassments, is still continue even now, and you have to be in very uh, resilient to overcome it, and otherwise, that you feel always like a mental trauma, that you will be afraid, that other people whether that they will believe that false claims or not. And, but to me, you know, it also drove me to, to 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 be on the front line to let more people to know what is the propaganda, how that they would do, and what's the nature of the CGTN. Um, I I do think not so many foreigners that they would know the usual tactics that they would do. Um, you know, even in the West, in the UK, CGTN. Um, the main targets would be focusing on the global audiences outside of China, so they could deliberately uh, uh, position themselves to be more moderate and be more focusing on mutual cooperation between China and the rest of the world. However, if you see their the same company CCTV in in mainland China, they go they're gonna be more hawkish, more nationalistic, then they're always saying UK, US are bad guys. So so it depends on the tactics that, that what they're doing. So yes, I think that the decision of Ocom is one of the ways that we could expose the influence activities of the CCP around the world. You
1: started your organisation Hong Kong as in Britain. Could you tell us a bit about the, the mission of your
0: organisation and,
1: and what you do to achieve
0: it? We set up the groups. Hong Kongers in Britain. We try to consolidate the voice of the community, not to be diluted, because the United Frameworks or influenced activity is going to be very subtle. They, of course, would pretend as your friends, but actually, what they're trying to do is to dissolve or dilute any kind of the anti-CCP sentiment or power. And why we're doing a groups here, ostensibly focusing more on livelihood more local policy, more about the welfare or interest of our local residents or communities. As one one of the stakeholders in the community, yes, we are talking about housing issue, employment issue, education issue, just like other UK residents in here. But moreover, I think, because we always memorize why we're coming in here, and we have a greater sense of duty when we see many felons, many other activists now in prison. And we have that kind of luxury that we have a choice to go out and leave our hometown and here we have a sense of duty to talk more about our real story of Hong Kong. And that's the thing when we try to engage within the community and we think is very very effective because is from the grassroots community and we are one of one part of those we have votes because we are British national overseas which is not only a travel document it, but is a British identity, British nationality and we regard ourselves as British nationals because we come here we could register as a voter that's why we have much more you know powerful tool to talk with councillors and MPs and let them to be more you know accountable to the people for example we try to expose the influence activities underground activities infiltration uh, in here gradually because we know chinese we know the language we know the culture and we live in hong kong for many years we witness how gradually bit by bit that the society layer by layer could be controlled by the chinese communist party and that is the first an experience that is quite valuable to the UK society because I think usually British society and even the government, they feel Hong Kong and China is far, far away. If they're not, if they have been ignorant to the Chinese politics, they might always have benefit or doubt to that to it. And even if they know, they might not take human rights issue as their top priority because they think maybe it is a foreign issue. However, if this bunch of Hong Kong people that come in here, Hong Kong, two systems, one country have been collapsed because national security law has been imposed. There's no real meaning of freedoms already in Hong Kong. You even could wave a flag, speak a chant, a slogan, speak any words or leave any comment. It could be a month to endanger national security and you could be in prison for decades or more. It's ridiculous. But that is reality. And this kind of thing, when it happened, it doesn't mean it has to be in Hong Kong. The law already stipulates that the law could be effective globally. And no matter who you are, even if you're not Hong Kongers, if even if you're not Chinese, it still regulates you. So many people, they come in here still with fear. So they cannot exert their own rights to have a protest in here, to be critical of the CCP even, because they are fear, they have been afraid of the national security law in the UK. So if we fear mentally, the national security law already in here. So we understood this is not one-off incident, but it's a very significant, prelude to the future. So this is also about the domestic policy and domestic matters of the UK.
1: Although you're in the UK, you're obviously still very busy with uh, freedom in Hong Kong issues. Do you ever feel unsafe or threatened here in the UK? As
0: an exile activist, I um, have been targeted by a very powerful uh, regime, autocratic regime. I need to learn how to coexist with this risk. like. Is always there when I always feel I've been followed, I've been told. And some people will feel it maybe is about mentality, it's maybe you're going to be paranoid. But even paranoid is legitimate. So it is really, really at a very short moment when you decide to speak out the truth. And that is a life changing event and it's a lifelong journey. So to me, I feel yes, I feel I've been monitored, I've been followed and I'm always feeling the threat that I could be threatened, harassed, I could be even um, uh, physically attacked someday by Chinese informants or agents, just a matter of time.
1: Switching our focus to the UK, uh, in October at the, the Consulate General in Manchester there was a protest and someone was actually beaten by consular staff in view of the Greater Manchester Police. This felt like a kind of new level in the whole wolf warrior diplomacy. How do you feel British people should should view that, of, of people in the UK being beaten by Chinese uh, regime members?
0: I think it's a golden example to show it, you know, why it's important that we should know about Chinese Communist Party. Um, it, it's even beyond our imagination how fast that they need not to go through the third party to do dirty works. Even the top diplomat in Manchester from China could do it himself, to beat protesters on the British soil without any legal consequence. And I think is outrageous. And the British people, I think, as we are, because the feel for the protesters have been bitten. They are British national overseas citizen. They are British national. That's we should be really aware of that. First of all, we could reveal the whole incident. This bunch of protesters, they, 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 they helped to the protest, a staged protest outside the consulate ground. That is on the British soil, peacefully. They have a lots of protest banner, surely, and many of those that they, they're. Um, satirical pictures of Xi Jinping. And it's, it's nothing more than usual because Xi Jinping is a dictator. He stripped the constitution to let him to renew his chairmanship forever. He is ambitious and his brain, China is gonna be more nationalistic, aggressive and authoritarian. And as he is a political leader, so as no matter as a people and citizens in the UK, you could be critical of that. Is it legitimate? But the diplomat said we cannot tolerate any kind of offensive picture or language to our great leader. And that's language of totalitarianism. He bought many his colleagues, diplomats, went outside of the consulate building, kicked down protest banner, tear the pictures are wet, uh, uh, are down and take lots of protest banners away, is vandalism. It actually is a property damage. And it's more shockingly that they try to drive several protesters back into on the ground of the consulate and beat them. It triggered lots of very ugly scenes, the conflict. Definitely, the protester they want to get their property back, so there has some scuffle.
1: So, they were dragging them into the consulate grounds because they felt they had diplomatic immunity in the consulate grounds.
0: They could even beat them to death without any legal consequences if they had been aggressive enough. And that's why Hong Kong was in Britain and we work with the victims very closely. The victim had been assigned a lawyer. So they work with IPAC, they work with Hong Kong Watch, and they work with Hong Kongers in Britain, and also the protest groups as well. So we also talked with Greater Manchester Police. We understood that they spent a lot of effort for investigation. They launched a initiated criminal investigation. They took lots of CCTV footage and did questioning with many protesters and witnesses. They tried to have the appointment with the Chinese consulate. The Chinese consulate officials re- refused to cooperate. They even with re- the police. With the police. Mm-hmm. They even refused to to talk and to be questioned by the police. The police, but the police clearly, you know, uh, uh, identify at least six departments involved in this attack. So they rec- they, they asked for the foreign office uh, to help to request Beijing to waive the diplomatic impunity of those. Um, they gave them about one week uh, to do this. And almost reached to the deadline, then Beijing said, we will remove those diplomats and we will send them back.
1: So, so these people, they basically escaped back to China without any consequences Without at any all. consequence. So what, what message does that send from the UK government to the Chinese Communist Party?
0: So, I think, you know, like this, when they send back, the UK government still need to do more. For example, the judicial proceeding, legal proceeding should still carry on. Otherwise, it sent a very, very bad and wrong signals to the British society. They're actually above the law. And because they're from a autocratic and powerful country, so so they could be above the law. No is is unacceptable so what the uk judiciary should do is it's a suspect of assault and no matter no matter no matter what it still need to continue the investigation and if you already get enough evidence for example based on very objective cctv footage you see some people you know stepaments at that time bits protesters well, you could still like, request them to cooperate with the UK police for investigation and to finish the legal proceeding. And if so, if they come, you know, if they go back to, to China, one day they could be not depleted, or they could, they could be not executing as a duty of depleted, then you still have some leeway and chance that to ask for extra, you know, ask for extradition. If they travel uh, uh, outside of China, at least you give them some inconvenience that they will feel that is some cause to that in the rest of your life.
1: One an interesting angle to this is that the Chinese regime actually invented a kind of counter narrative as to what happened and they even made a, a Twitter feed about it. Could you tell us about that?
0: Yes, that is at the beginning when the incidents happen, then within 48 hours, they. They set up a card kind of like a Twitter account named Manchester Story. And they pretend, you know, spoke it, you know, that they wrote it in English. But the CCTV is in traditional Chinese and some of those in simplified Chinese. They make it more multicultural and let more international audience to read it. Of course, that is on Twitter. So the target would be foreign audiences, especially uh, the UK audiences. and you can see they also through the pro-CCP Chinese overseas uh, community and groups to spread out. Why we know that is from consulate? Because the CCTV footage, it shows the angle is actually from within the consulate. So we know it's actually the source from the consulate. So we, some, from many a of the Cases like this, then we know the tactics that they try to do. They try to build their counter narrative, of course. And they said, Oh, is it because the protesters try to get in the consulate because they want to protect themselves, to protect the consulate building, so they they have to do it. They have to draft the hair, they have to, you know, control them or whatever that they would say. But well I think if Normally, if the people they watch the CCTV footage as a whole, the conflict has been triggered by the consulate. They even cannot defend it to say, why, why you kicked down the protest banner? Well, if you say scuffle is from both sides, of course, there's a scuffle. But the protest have been triggered by, by you. The, the protester they want to get the property back. Otherwise, they will let you go. It's a legitimate response, what I'm saying. But the consulate themselves, they trigger the conflict and make ugly sins, and this is undeniable truth. They cannot even deny it. So if this could happen, we need to be very careful that to reveal what the future of diplomacy of China will be. Because to me, it's a bit irrational. Is going to be more and more irrational. And as a, such a very great power, is a very dangerous move. And we don't know, but it could foreseeable, that they could expend in whatever way. Like previously, in economic way, one bow and row, they try to be friendly with any other stakeholders to say, we could, uh, we could achieve mutual prosperity. And there's a Chinese money, Chinese market, However, what happens in Hong Kong, now we all see, they, through judicial way, impose national security law, and through this, from Hong Kong, extend the authoritarian law, oppressive law, around the world. And let alone in the future, it will be in a military way, more systematic way, to threaten Taiwan and South China Sea. And that is autocratic power. We witness the expansion and no matter we like it or not, if we don't stop a barbaric behaviour of depriments today, maybe ten years later we will see a war waged by them. And our next generation could pay even greater cost for this.
1: How do you feel, that, how do you see the future for Hong Kong? Do you feel it's going to be bright or do you feel it's kind of beyond rescue? Or...
0: Well, for short term, is still going downward to be worse and worse and worse. However, I believe the human life and the truth is going to be always the circle. Like If you're going downward enough, then you're going upward. So I am optimistic. I believe in the rest of my life, I still have my chance to come back to my hometown without fear. And that is my choice that because that's my hometown and I should have this kind of freedom of movement to go back to my hometown. And I foresee that day. And all the things, if you ask me what kind of the reason, well, I say, I would say it's really based on the spirit. When every time when the Hong Kong people, if they decide to go on the street for protest or something, we need, we didn't think too much about calculating, the benefits or pros and cons or whatever. No. At the very moment that time is only about your courage and only about your sense of consciousness. Simon Chung, thank you for joining us on British Soul Leaders. Thank you so much.